I know God's going to do something amazing. I don't know what it is, but he's done it every single time. So I get to see that. And it fuels me because some people look back and go, I remember when God did this in my life and it was cool. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Welcome back, listening audience, ladies and gentlemen, you beautiful people. We love having your listenership. Thank you again for downloading the Guns and Mental Health podcast from Walk the Talk America. I'm Jake Wiskirchen and joined by my co-host, Michael Sudini. Hello, Michael. Hello, Jake. How you doing? I am well, thank you. It is finally springtime here in northern Nevada. We are not dodging snowflakes anymore, at least until a week from now, which I'm sure will happen because that's usually what happens in springtime in northern Nevada because baseball rolls around and we dodge snowflakes in baseball season. But, uh, with us today is Jimmy Graham, all the way from Colorado. How are you, sir? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. For the, for the listening audience who may not know who you are, we'll let you give your introduction. But you struck us because you did a video for um, Colorado Firearms Safety Coalition. Is that the name of it, right? And, um, and at the end of it, you punctuated by saying, my firearms are not an option for suicide. And we saw that and we were like, Holy cow, that needs to be a hashtag, it needs to be a tagline, it needs to be trademarked, copyrighted, all the things. And then we were like, we should have him on the podcast. So tell everybody who you are, you served, you're a veteran, you do training, all that stuff. But uh, introduce introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> in a nutshell, a little over 15 years in the SEAL teams, um, going all over the world and doing that. That job was very blessed to have that opportunity and then work for the CIA's GRS program. So our protective officer uh, for the CIA for about seven years. Most of that was instructing, uh, you know, um, teaching and vetting the people that were going to go do that job overseas. If you've seen 13 hours, that was actually my team in Benghazi, Libya. Um, I, I deployed back home, rotated back home about three weeks prior to that, that attack. So um, anyways, um, my instructor role was basically teaching the people to go do that job, going over about once a year. And then the last year I spent in Libya. Uh, about 2012, my wife and I talked about kind of what's next. We started having children and I want to raise a family and kind of ride that out and go to, you know, what was my true calling. So we opened a, a business called Duty to Act LLC uh, years into it, because if you've ever started a business, it's not easy. So it's, you know, kind of treading water for about six years. Seventh year kind of took and we, uh, we pivoted and uh, we have a, we were doing business as Able Shepherd. When I created that program, it was designed for law enforcement security and then quite frankly, individuals. And that's the one that took. So we say moms and dads, they came in wanting to know how to protect their loved ones. And that was kind of our pivot point, our, you know, secret sauce. And then just took over from there. I would appreciate if you would uh, share the origins of the name Abel Shepherd because we hear a lot of like you know shepherd and sheepdog and all that stuff. Um, how'd you come up with that, and what's what's the history behind the nomenclature there? 
Yeah. So I'm a man of faith. I'm a Christian guy. So um, I don't, I don't hide that one bit. So I wear that on my sleeve. Uh, you know, obviously don't force out on anybody. I say, you don't have to believe what I believe. You got to be okay with me believing it, or there's other places to train. Cause that's the way that I'm going to run my business. Um, it actually came from that conversation. If you're familiar with the sheepdog mentality, I know the kind of founders of that <laughs> meaning Dave Grossman and others. Um, but at the time I was studying with Liberty University. So I went scripturally and looked for the, the, the background of sheepdog and didn't find much in scriptures. So uh, what I did find was Shepherd. So I was like, how do you have a conversation? And it wasn't Grossman, by the way, it was a Vietnam vet that talked about, you know, um, there, are, there, are, there are people are sheep, right? They just want to get along. They want to live life and all that stuff. And not, not kind of like, you know, making that a bad thing, just saying people just want to live their lives and non-confrontational. Then there are wolves and wolves are out there to prey on the sheep and they will make a target of you. The guy says, I'm a sheepdog. I live to confront the wolf. Uh, and that's respectable and a big thing grew up and some people say, yeah, I'm a sheepdog and all that. It just didn't quite register me. Now I do support those guys, but I'm like, how can you have that conversation and not talk about a shepherd? Then I typed in shepherd and kind of dug into my Bible and said, what does that say? And there's many, 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 meaning first Peter uh, five, two to four that calls us to be shepherds, calls us to you know uh, guide a flock of individuals like us until the chief shepherd returns me in Christ. So that's where Abel shepherd came from the name. Cause I, my, my focus is that, um, you know, and I mean this respectfully because I have one in my family. Like we don't want the mad grandpa, you know what I mean? The guy staring at the horizon and saying, I'm going to go, you know, shoot somebody for you, that kind of thing. It's just not healthy. Um, we, we said, well, what if that doesn't happen? Because in my family, that mad grandpa, what he doesn't know is the kids are scared of him. He's protecting in his mind. He's a good guy and he's protecting them. All they know is I'm afraid of grandpa because he might be mad at me and I don't want him at Thanksgiving. So that's the thing that really bothered me is that many of those people see it too late. In his mind, truly, he, he thinks he's protecting them. And in a sense, he is. But then he realizes kind of too late, man, I missed the best part. I don't even know him and they don't feel safe around me. So that's unfortunate. So when we say shepherd, we truly mean it is your job to protect your loved ones, period. Ultimately, it's your job. You can use the police. You can use security guards. You can use who at fire. You get all that. But ultimately, it's your job. It's also your job to educate your kids. You can use schools. You can use whatever. But ultimately, it's your job. If they're not doing a job, find another school or teach them yourself. So we say shepherd. It's a big word. And we take it seriously. Meaning the, the buck stops right here when it comes to my kids. And then I'm very blessed to have an amazing community that I get to choose from and decide who protects and educates my kids. I did not do much prep work for this podcast in the spirit of transparency. Um, we, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. It's a free podcast, whatever. But I, I also have a, a great deal of faith that um, things are going to align. And also being a Christ follower myself, I really appreciate that, you know, what you, what you teed up there is, is really right in my, my bailiwick. And I don't get to share it much um, outside really the church community, which, which is, which is fine. But the the idea of shepherding, you know, guiding, protecting something, whether it's whether it's finances or your own family or or business, I happen to own my own business as well, and I know the struggles. Yeah. Boy, do I know the struggles! Um, it, it, that that word, that concept, is really it, it really resonates with me. I think because I take very preciously the idea of shepherding not only my employees and their families, but my family too. And I think what often gets overlooked is the idea of that that personal responsibility that maybe we don't, um, we invite it certainly when we step into that role of, you know, being a, being a father or a husband. Um, but it's a choice, right? You, you choose to take on this responsibility. And when you choose to take on a responsibility, you take on all that comes with it and even the, the unseen sometimes. And I, there's so much what you laid out there that I'd love to get into and maybe we will at some point. Um, but I'd love to spend a little more time around that concept insofar as it relates to, 
our personal responsibility as you know firearms owners and um, caring for the the community because as a clinician I've got my own clinical community care for as well as my my firearms community and I kind of straddle the line there but talk talk a little bit about how you integrate that concept into your education and I love you talked about education too your education your training that you do with uh, some of these the EMS and the, and the fire and the first responders the police and and of course what you used to do in your your prior uh, occupation and explain explain what that means and how it practically integrates into what you do day to day. Sure, I've, I've trained literally thousands of individuals in the emergency response community and and literally hundreds of agencies. Um, and and that's that's what quite frankly got me to start this business was just seeing a gap there, this bridge in what's the elite forces that have the budgets to get to an, a, a certain level of efficiency and training. They're training on a totally different level. And then you see, you come back home and you see those that are, you know, in, in, in charge of responding to your church or your school or your home. And there's just a gap. And it doesn't, I, I say that respectfully because we fully support and train our law enforcement. It just means we deserve better back home. So it means we can't be building these walls and saying, um, I'm really cool. And if I teach you, then you become cool. And then I'm less cool. It's like, that's not the way it works because who loses the kids, right? So in our communities. So if we can freely share that kind of thing and say, guys, I've seen a better way to train this. It's more efficient, which means nobody has enough time or money. Let's make it more efficient. So that way our communities win. That's the answer. And, and, and I've even got people in my peer group that were SEALs or they were CIA or they were whatever. And they're like, man, you, you train civilians? I'm like, I do. Like the, the people that I rely on to defend my homes, not even defend, defend's a strong word, meaning that somehow I'm being attacked. It means to shepherd my, my, my family. Like if I'm not home and usually it's a policeman or a businessman or somebody that's gone all the time and they, they say some kind of really untrue things, break into my house. I just got a new such and such and I'll show them. You're never home. So that's actually the house to break into because you're always gone, right? So who do you rely on? Your neighbors. Well, literally your neighbors, if you didn't, if you're too cool to train them, then you've made your community less safe. Literally your family is less safe because you, you know, you're too, too much ego to train those people around you. So what I've found though, is that when you give people the camaraderie, you share the camaraderie that I felt in the SEAL teams and they've never had it, man, they're in. They want to do, I mean, we do fundraisers. We go around the country. We're getting ready to do one next week, but we did one last year called Lineage Ride 2019. It was a 4,400 mile motorcycle ride around the Northwest, all the way to California, then to Seattle, then to Glacier National Park, and then back down. What we were doing is just spending time as a community together, then coming home. And on the way, we raised like $50,000 to buy body armor for principals and med kits for schools and churches. So all of this stuff, um, I tell people, yes, we do this preparation training, but the most important thing you're ever going to have in a crisis, whether it's a storm or an attack or a hurricane or whatever, is a human being. It means another human being that you've built relationship with because he's going to remember something that you forgot or that she's going to know a skill that you don't possess. And that's the whole essence of teams, whether it's SEAL teams or GRS teams or whatever, is that we each make each other stronger. So if we can get united in just, just a, an easy place, like defend our children, then all of a sudden you've got an amazing community. I'm actually building anything I do. I think about this. So the second I go out, I just shared with you guys before the thing. I go out on a motorcycle ride. <clears throat> I come back glued to these other individuals, these other men. And, um, and I'm like, how could I help facilitate that? that thing that adhered us together, how can I help other men do that? And now I'm in a process of doing a thing uh, to do that. You know, I call it green pin first. And this is, sorry, you didn't ask this. I used to do my schedule on a calendar. Those, those uh, dryer rate, not the dry, they're like a wet erase, like right in the rain deal. And I would take the whole calendar and red was for tr my job, you know, and training people. Black was overseas, blue was military and green pin was for my family. And it was always the least and it was always last. <clears throat> 
when I started a business, I said, I'm going to start with my green pen first. So I blocked off every single Sunday and every single birthday and every single event that the town was hosting and all that. Cause I missed them for years and it literally changed my life. And then I hand that pen to my staff and they go, I, I'm, I want to go hunting this year. We just talked about it today. I'm going to hunt second because I'm going to hunt third, whatever. And we cover each other. So truly that work balance thing just takes a little uh, effort to be intentional. So all those things end up being healthier families, like as healthy things grow and healthy things die. So that's what we're focused on right now. We are like barely 11 minutes into this podcast and I am already <laughs> completely inspired and motivated and you don't know this cause we just met, but I've been kind of kicking around, you know, like, I don't know, I need something to motivate me. And, and like hearing that affirmation is, is critical to my life right now. But Mike wants to jump in with something. I saw him leaning forward. I'm gonna let him talk. Yeah. I have a question. Like, were you always like this? Like what, what was your journey? Like, how are you in high school? And then go on to it, you know, I starts. <laughs> Brother, I was a mess in high school is the, uh, is the answer to that one. Like I literally just had my, my son got in this little tussle at school and we had to talk about it. And I shared with him, I was like, you know, I was, I was a young man that didn't have answers. And, and quite frankly, there was some fear in my high school years, gotten, gotten in trouble actually for a fight, uh, you know, high school fight I got into and all that stuff. So I'm very, very careful about being that dad, like, Oh, you know, Christian got, he's only six, but he got in a fight and his dad's a Navy SEAL. So he's probably teaching him acts. It's like, no, I take this very, very seriously. The boys and the girls, I say, Hey, this is a very important thing. You can't make forever mistakes. You can't hurt somebody and get, you know, and, and whatever and uh, kill somebody, whatever. Some of these things can haunt you forever. Uh, I was kind of lost and, and it got in a fight in my high school years based out of fear. I can sit here and play tough, but I was scared, you know, a little bit of fear. So I fought extra hard and overdid it. Right. And hurt a kid. So that's unfortunate. And then, and then, you know, the system went into the system about uh, how to, how to uh, correct that probation, all that stuff. In my opinion, it worked because it scared me enough to get my act together. Right. Needed a challenge, had a lot of energy that I needed to put somewhere. And then I, I say, I grew up in the Navy, you know, I went into the Navy and challenged myself with the SEAL teams. And when I came in, it was a bunch of long lost brothers that were in a similar situation. We said, let's, let's do a common good here. And it, and it works. It's, it's quite amazing to test yourself on that level. And to earn that kind of camaraderie with those kind of guys is, is quite an honor. Do you, uh, first of all, what did you study at Liberty? Uh, I, it's funny, religion. <clears throat> then I said, what are you going to do with that? So I went with psychology. And then immediately I went back to religion. And the reason why, because whether I was going to be a psychologist, whether I was going to work in criminal justice or something like that, that was all a maybe someday and everything that I was studying with religion was applicable that second. The second it left the page to my brain, I was a better dad and I was a better husband. And I was like, I'm not, I'm doing this right now. So then I uh, started, you know, diving into Old Testament, New Testament, going into religion. It's a Christian school. So it was based on, you know, you study theology, meaning different religions, uh, but it's all with a, a Christian worldview. I guess what I, what I want to ask is, did, did you have a, and this is a really deep, question i think it's philosophical that a lot of people wrestle with is when you when you go in and and you you're fighting you're you're defending the country ostensibly you have to take lives at some point did you ever have a moment where you had to like reconcile the uh you know the the turn the other cheek versus you know pr protect and defend and, and attack evil even if that means inflicting death and, it, and if so how did you work through that because i think that's a lot of people that's what a lot of people I know get hung up on when they're carrying guns for self-defense or what have you and they're believers. Like how do we make sense of that seeming dichotomy? 
I think it's, it's much easier on a personal level, meaning defending human life, right and wrong. If you don't have an essence of, of ethics, <clears throat> meaning mine obviously coming from uh, scripture, from our, from our uh, laws, all that, it's very easy when we teach um, how to defend human life. Like everything we've done, our motto is take care of one another. That's it. Just take care of one another. Obviously it comes from the book of John, love one another, but um, the military is a little bit tougher, meaning that you have to entrust in a government that says you're here to do this thing. So you're there doing a thing. A lot of times when I've seen people having real struggles with that, a lot of the, and I say this, you know, obviously it's not a, it's not a blanket statement over everybody. Um, a lot of that came in with them. I mean, and they came in, they brought that with them into the military, you know, and, and, or maybe they partook in something that wasn't ethically correct and they didn't stop themselves or they witnessed something that they should have said something. And then you multiply that times 40 more years and they're looking at their grandkids remembering that they didn't have the courage to stop X and it haunts them for a lifetime because they don't understand grace. So there's a lot going on there. Um, you know, a lot of facets and it's, it's not carbon copy. It just means there's a lot of, um, you know, even, even in the situation we're in today, you know, I've, I've had some pretty passionate uh, discussions with, with some men that were just trying to get a cop out and saying, Hey, I've done this. And I'm like, you like complaining, but you don't like anything about it. Like I, I truly believe that if you're going to try to start from the top up, good luck with that. I think this nation was started with we, the people, and then you basically give the best community you can give, start with yourself, by the way, then you send a representative of a good community should be a good person. That's the way it's designed to work. Not, I got so busy with my business and my kids that I didn't care about politics. And then I ended up here. Um, and I'm, and I'm the first one to be guilty of that. You know, I really focused on um, an amazing thing that came to light through a study I'm doing right now about <clears throat> my church, you know, on the wall, God, family, others. Well, that's not the way Benjamin Rush wrote it. He wrote God, community or government, then family. Like, wait a minute, my family is before the government. He's right. But if you love your God and love your country, your family will benefit, but it doesn't work if you switch those two. So if it's God and family, that's what I've been focused on the past years. And I've lost track of my government and the laws that govern education in my schools and my, even my second amendment rights. And now it's hurting my family. So it's time to put those back and say, Hey, get your priorities straight and benefit your children. Or you're going to blink and we're going to be, well, quite frankly here. So practically speaking, because that was a, a really good overview. What do you personally do when you try to uh, put a put a, a matrix or a filter or a rubric or what have you <laughs> over that because and I'm asking this with the intent that somebody listening may go yeah I've heard that before but I can't really pinpoint the steps that I need to take to be at peace with right. some of the decisions <clears throat> that I make where inherently we're, we're sacrificing one for something else and we can maybe see it from the big picture perspective how it all weaves together but when when you make step-by-step decisions you know whether to go to work one day or take the day off to be with your kids, or whether you um, train one group over another group when they both have seemingly equal merit. Um, what is your ethical framework and how do you make those decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. So <clears throat> personally, what I do, Philippians 4.8, and I'm not going to get this right because I'm not good with chapter and verse, but you can look it up, but it talks about whatever's good, whatever's noble, what's kind, loving, praiseworthy, righteous. Think about those things and say those things. So it starts with you. Uh, be careful. Your words should mean something. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by Jordan Peterson. If, you, if that name means anything to you right now. Uh, and then, yeah. So, so just the interview that I saw with him and Helen Lewis, the GQ interview, and I couldn't figure out what, what grabbed me from him. So I really spent a lot of time thinking about this. He puts so much emphasis that his words are true, obviously, according to his truth, but he doesn't throw words around. 
If he says it, he has thought about it and he calculates every word. There's a lot of honor in that. And I believe that that's the way it used to be. So that intrigued me quite a bit. So I delved in a little bit further to look into that. <clears throat> but I truly believe that one, you're accountable to yourself. And then two, when you talk about, um, you know, like even his rules for life, don't lie. You know, just as a rule, don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't. It's funny. My kids, we just did a podcast talking about grand family sayings. If I say don't lie, cheat or steal, they'll say or litter because they know I can't stand littering. It's a pet peeve of mine, whatever. But we sort of writing these down, said in a podcast because people are like, can you send those to me? Because it's just fun things that I say to my kids, but they all have a meaning. So it means if I'm going to put my name on it, then it's got to have, you know, that seal of approval, if you will. <clears throat> um, even the products we sell, the, the training we do and all that stuff. I say there's, a, there's a, one of those sayings is everyone leaves here better every single time, including the staff. So if you come in the doors, everybody leaves here better. Like the instructors learn, you learn, everybody leaves better and we're adding value to people and then they want to come back and then that builds a community. So literally going out, if you're talking about what I personally do, I'm, I'm probably harder on myself than anybody but with a touch of grace, knowing that I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, sometimes I got to swallow hard and say, okay, mess that one up. Let's go fix it next time. And then we're like, for example, we would go out and teach schools and help them with security and training and all that. And then we would run into places where they didn't have a budget for, for, uh, <clears throat> for any kind of security, anything, whether it's a lock on the door or a crash bar or a whatever, or body armor. And for a minute, we started paying out of pocket. And then we're like, we can't afford to do this. So we did galas and, and trips with our community, started a 501c3 called Able Nation. So an Able Nation, it exists for us to do fun things, raise money. And then when we see a need, we go buy it for them and just hand it to them. So I've got a whole collage of pictures of me shaking the hand of a pastor or a, a principal like this. And that's all we ask. It's like, hey, be cool if we could get a picture. But at the end of the day, the school's safer. You know, so we just, and, and then uh, we started an initiative called Stand in the Gap Initiative. I was going around, it's a buddy of mine from the Benghazi deal, from the 13 hours deal, uh, TIG, uh, John Tigan down the street. They're affiliated with some stuff, trying to draw people together to stand up. Now, what does that mean? You know, who knows? Because everybody's doing it. <clears throat> but I went to a couple of their meetings and it just didn't quite have that thing that I could write my name next to. And somebody said, you're going to have to start that. So we started it. It's not as big, but it's very deliberate. So it's called Stand in the Gap Initiative. And we built out before the election, we built out segments to make communities stronger. They could literally go line by line and work on all the work that we've done. I had volunteers come out, make hour long videos on maybe readiness and communication and organization and what radios you buy and all that kind of stuff. But it's just free resources. Because again, all you have to do is get a group together that's like-minded, start having barbecues. And I don't care what you're talking about. It could be guns or radios or uh, dried food in the basement. But now you know each other. So if something bad does happen, who are you going to call? You're going to call this friend because you met him from some dude, Jimmy Graham, that introduced you. But now it's a person that lives down the street from you. So it's, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Again, back to that person being the most valuable asset that you're going to have. You, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of the philosophy of Walk Talk America, right? Um, you know, I, the reason why I started that is I, I said, I got to find a group of people that we can put our bet foot, uh, best foot forward as the firearms community, the industry. And, <laughs> we've done a good job of that because we've gone into, you know, the mental health side of things and, and it's really made a difference being able to communicate, um, you know, and not bring the so-called like pry it from my cold dead hands guy, which kind of is reminds me of what you said earlier about you scare people, yeah, yeah. right. You scare people, especially when they don't understand, you know, you're talking about your freedom, but I want to, I want to kind of talk about the Benghazi thing for a second. Uh, just because I was a huge fan of the movie, I got to interview Chris Tonto uh, yeah. at the NRA show about 
three years ago and man, he was such a character, but you said, I think you said you, you left a couple weeks before. Yep. Oh man. Like what was that like to like leave and then see that happen and you're not there and you can't do anything about it because you strike me as someone who would just jump in the car and drive over there. Yeah. Uh, so I was just on a podcast called The Pursuit. It's a it's a Christian podcast. And man, they 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 button hooked me with this, and they didn't mean to, but we went really deep on this. It got it got a little real. <clears throat> but I will always struggle with that, meaning that I'm the kind of guy, and and I don't know, so I, I don't want to be like if I would have been there, or whatever. I just know how I am when I'm in a protective mode. When I'm working, I'm very business oriented. I don't really mix my words. And anybody knows me, they, they know that because I'm very, very serious about protecting people. Not that they weren't, but the guy that I turned over with isn't even in the book or movie. Um, you know, so you've never heard this guy's name. He was actually the guy in charge of that team. So when I left, there was another guy. It wasn't Roan. Roan was my number two. I was the team lead. Roan was beneath me and there's other guys on the team, right? There was another guy there and he was a very passive, very quiet guy. So when Roan made that decision, he basically bypassed that guy and said, I don't work anymore, but there's Americans that need help. I think it's a better story. But for whatever reason, because of sensitivities about the CIA, they, they removed that, uh, that piece, uh, probably to make a movie or whatever. But what it means is <clears throat> I always wonder what if I had been there. So, A, maybe we would have got moving sooner then that wouldn't have developed. So it wouldn't have been as such a big and potentially there would be an ambassador alive or be somebody. I wouldn't get the opportunity to raise four beautiful children and be married to Rachel. So it is a conflict that survivor's guilt piece of it. Um, and even the thing that took me out of there was a family emergency that I was always, you know, I'm always the first guy there, last guy to leave. So when they asked me to extend for the ambassador's visit, I had to um, decline uh, because of my wife. And I just, I'm, it's the first time I said it was the last time on, on a podcast, but I'm a little more comfortable saying it now is that uh, my wife had a miscarriage uh, prior to that. And I didn't go home. Like I didn't, she's like, I've got it. I've got support. It was very early on all this stuff. And I should have, that's one of my big regrets in life. Just don't even ask, just go and be there. So when it came time to extend, I said, I can't do it this time, guys. And I got no plan left. So that can be a gift or it can be whatever it is. It is what it is in God's hands, but it does. There are those that's man, if I'd have been there, maybe I could have made a difference or, Thank you, God. I get to be here, you know, talking to you on a podcast. Talk a little bit about how you find your peace in the, the, the what, what some people would otherwise cling to as perpetual turbulence in something like that. We make a, make a big, potentially life-altering, well, it was life-altering um, <laughs> for a lot of people. But I think in my line of work, I, I deal with a lot of folks who um, never really move on from that. And I, I hear a lot of I say faith and I say it with the great gravity that it deserves, which is uh, belief in something unseen and the peace that accompanies it. But how do you practice that? How do you, how do you take actual peace in knowing that you made the right decision for whatever happened and, and then knowing that even if you'd made a different decision, you still would have been at peace with it. How, how do you wrap your head around that? And how do you teach other people to do that same thing? I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate because, uh, you know, I, I was not, I wouldn't consider myself a man of faith in my SEAL team years, you know, and then obviously going to GRS, I was the weird guy when everybody else was shutting down for the night and doing their thing and whatever. I was the guy with the Bible with Liberty University with, you know, watching a presentation from it and writing papers and doing that literally from Tripoli, Libya. So um, as I was starting to wrap my head around that, um, wondering about the man, kind of man I was going to be, you know, it's easy to talk about accountability as long as it's not pointed back towards you. 
at some point, accountability dictates that you quit apologizing to people in the morning. You know, if you're drinking too much and acting a fool in the morning, you feel bad. That's just easy math. Quit, knock it off. Right. So when that, when, it, when you grow up and we, you know, where I'd say it is, you know, put, put childish things behind you. When I was, you know, mm-hmm. as a child, I acted like a child. And then when mm-hmm. I became a man, I put those childish things behind me. So I really do take that literally. And then I think that, you know, many people can, can say, this is my truth, but they don't have any fruit. Like where's the fruit of the spirit. So if you're going to do these things, is it doing any good? Well, I'm very blessed to see a community around me of, of people. I don't know how many times I've had a conversation with a 60 plus year old man and saying, Hey brother, when you're here, I'm not in charge of you, I'm not your dad, but here you watch your language. So you can talk however you want. You just can't do it here. So if you must talk that way, you're just no longer allowed here. I am so sorry. I didn't realize, Hey, we're good brother. Okay. And then it goes away. You know, so men well into their later years are still trying to figure out the man that they want to be. You know what I mean? That was a wake up call for me. Cause in my mind, I'm going to learn from my mentors and my elders and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes that's the deal, but it truly doesn't matter. I've, I've talked to people about, Hey, what if there's a place you could go and do A, B, C, and D, and you had a community and you do adventures and you do all this other stuff. Uh, what if we had a place for kids where they could learn that? They go, that's awesome. I go, what if it wasn't for kids? They go, sign me up. I'm like, what if grown men had something like that? And that's what we're creating. You know, we found that guns, it sounds funny when you say it out loud, we found a way for, and I, I don't even like saying guns for that firearm, for that, we call it a protector culture. For that protector culture, we found a way into men's hearts. And I don't take that lightly. So now I am very, very, you know, uh, mindful of stewarding that trust into some adventure roles, into some other stuff. Like I said, we're going to go next week to California and ride for motorcycles for nine days with about seven guys. And it's going to be amazing. I already know it. I know God's going to do something amazing. I don't know what it is, but he's done it every single time. So I get to see that and it fuels me because some people look back and go, I remember when God did this in my life and it was cool. It's different when you say, I remember today what he just did a minute ago. You know, it's like all day. That's, that's, I mean, I, I know, and I know this isn't like going to be this perpetual every day is going to be, you know, just gravy. And it hasn't been, you know, I've, I've struggled very, very hard for, you know, coming on nine years now. So we started this nine years. So I, I started in between my, my second and third deployment to Libya. Um, and, uh, and it is, it's not like bliss. It just means that motivates me when I see value add to other people. You see them walk out a better person and people thank me. Hey, thanks for doing this. And I go, I can assure you that I get more out of this than anybody here. So that, that is just fuel. So you're, you're in an interesting space. You're, you fit right in with us, right? Because we, we are, we're two A guys and we're, we're into firearms. Um, we're also into mental health We're we're into suicide prevention. Um, this is a, a role sometimes that can be misunderstood by, I call it our own community, uh, which is the 2A community, yeah. because we notoriously have always, you know, it's been the elephant in the room. We don't talk about suicides by firearm. Uh, you know, we don't talk about mental health because we don't want that weaponized against us to potentially lose our clearance or lose our Second Amendment right. Um, so, so I always have to take it with a grain of salt when I say my people, right? Because I'm from the industry, uh, misunderstand what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know, they, they think that I'm getting in bed with the liberal gun grabbers and they have all these things that they say. And I'm like, this is just not true. Like this, it's not, trust me. Like, um, have you run into any of that? Have you, have you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All the time. And, and I'll just, what comes to my mind is I was at a, I was at a function that we were doing as a big fundraiser. Uh, one of my mentors, we call him the sage, Neil Pinkham. What's up, Neil? Um, he's just kind of my right-hand man. His sister-in-law, he's 60s, like, you know, mid to late 60s. 
And he brings his family there and he goes, man, my sister-in-law, she's, she's that person. And she walks over to me at this event when nobody else is around and I can see the table going, oh no, oh no, what's she going to say? It's going to be embarrassing. She comes over and starts in with the, I just don't agree with this and this and this. We start talking and I start talking about how I'm just so devoted in protecting people. And, and, uh, you know, if somebody was going to come and harm someone, whether it be children or, and quite frankly, if it was you and I would defend you with my life, um, do you think I should have a chance to survive myself? And she says, I think I, I would be okay with that, but you have training and skills and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that I could have the ability to train people to have the same skill sets? What about police officers? Should we disarm the police officers? No, they've had training and they've all that stuff. What if I could train them on the same or even better on an efficiency scale and get that quality you know, of, of, of individual's character and then also that skill level? Would that be okay? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense to me. Okay. And then she said something very important when she went back to the table. Thank you for listening to me. Like, wow. They come over and they're all like, didn't even want to ask her. And later he asked me, he goes, How, how'd that go? I go, mm, great. And I kind of told him, he's like, really? Because we thought that was going to be, you know, this under whatever. So no, it wasn't at all. So she just needed a little bit of fact. And I, I, I tell people now, whether it be COVID or guns or masks, you just name it. People don't want to talk about facts. They want to scream about something they heard. They have no idea what they're talking about. They just want to say it loud enough and with enough repetition to let other people repeat them. And that's what I think grabbed me about the Jordan Peterson. He's like, absolutely not. I care about kids. So I'm not going to say what you just said. Like, Whoa. So that's the kind of thing that really grabbed me and got me looking at that. But I think that's for all of us. You know, if we took a stand and, and educated people with grace, with love saying, you don't have to believe what I believe, but, but by the way, what I believe is, uh, you know, do you believe that, uh, light's better than dark, that freedom's better than slavery? Do you believe all these things? Cause that's what I stand for. And that applies to you too. So they say, well, I'm not going to buy it against. It's okay. I'll protect you. They go, what? What would you say? I'll protect you. And I said, I'll protect your kids. And I don't need to know that you're kids. I just know that they're kids and they're worth protecting. They shouldn't be hurt. And it just shines a different light. Uh, you know, at a church, I was speaking at a church on the news and I had a lady come over and say, Jim, because I was on the security team, <clears throat> she goes, I just don't know if they start arming churches and people are carrying guns, we're going to have people shot. And there's going to be accidental discharge. There's going to be all this stuff. And I don't think that's safe around kids. And I go, well, respectfully, I've known you for about three years. And every time we've had a conversation, I've been responsibly armed. Really? So if you want to yell in somebody's face, you're probably not helping the cause. But if you want to build relationships and then tell people, hey, that capability thing that I was built with, like literally built as a protector, it's in my DNA to protect innocent lives. That just makes me more capable. And that, that again, that equals a stronger community. I do a lot of emotional functioning teaching for a living and, uh, and, and through this format as well. And when I get into the emotions, I talk about how um, they serve a purpose, right? There's an adaptive function for why we feel what we feel. And then we're supposed to take that information and act out of logic, not out of emotion. And I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of this book called uh, Posting Peace from a guy named Doug Bursch, who's a pastor up in Seattle. And he's, he's all over uh, Twitter and he's posting all the time. But he, he's talking about in this book about how um, we need to, to mind what we post online with a, with a great level of intentionality and, and not cause more destruction. And I can't help but think that we're, we're in some sort of positive feedback loop where angry begets angry and cynicism begets cynicism and contempt begets contempt and so forth. Do you have a, a reasonable idea about how we can go about changing some of that stuff so we're not shrieking at each other and, and eliciting defensiveness and fight or flight so that we, we're not able to receive fact or information anymore um, 
that goes a little more rapidly than the one-on-one conversations? Yeah, no, I love that. I think, uh, you know, it's like what I tell my, my children, hurting people hurt people, right? So who they, they'll say something to me and I go, you in charge of them? They go, no, who are you in charge of? Me, what are you going to do? I'm going to forgive them. Cool, right on, let's just go. And they just know this deal that we do. And then it amazes me how I can apply that to pretty much any direction in my life. Not just kids, not just whatever. It's like, oh man, can you believe that? Man, you're not in charge of them. So model that thing you just said. So, you know, like that, and you could, you could say, and I think it was Mother Teresa or something, it's like, be the change you want to be in, whatever. Um, if, if you are that person, if you are that light, um, you can scream and act a fool if you want, or you can just be the best you you can be, and it becomes attractive. And then you look back, like currently we have 300 people in our program that train with us monthly. So I look back and there's 300 people saying, say more stuff, you know what I mean? And it's a huge responsibility. So to your point, what did I do Easter morning? I was up there last week. There's a place. So I live in this beautiful valley called Castle Rock. And uh, up on that hill to the west, there's stairs, 200 stairs. It's a fitness thing. There's amazing structure. And when you walk up the 200 stairs at the top, you're sucking wind and you're looking east. And many times I've seen the sun come up right there. So I just felt led to pull out my phone, do a Facebook Live and say, hey, Jimmy Graham here. Um, This, you know, as a a Christian, Easter is a bigger deal than me for Christmas. And I say that all the time. I just don't actually act it out. So I'm inviting everybody. That, he, within, that hears my voice to come join my family. We're going to be here Christmas morning, morning, I'm sorry, Easter morning and watch the sun come up. So we had 70 people come up to this ridge and stand there and watch the sun come up. I'm holding my kids and my wife. I had invited a pastor, Brian Fields, to come up and just a quick prayer, you know, Easter morning, ready, break. We all go down. I had a generator set up with a big old four gallon coffee thing. And we hung out in the parking lot and drank coffee. And now it's going to become an annual thing. You know, so I love what you're saying about that posting. She's like, you know, the whole, and the whole Facebook thing, the whole social media, I get all of this stuff, but if I bail, and this is just Jimmy Graham talking, if I bail from Facebook, then where did that light go? I just took that away from that. Yeah. So I understand that people, if they want to leave, that's okay. And that's, I'm not going to tell them that they can't, you're just going to make a billion, a billionaire lose one guy. Okay. That's cool. And maybe that is the answer. Cause if there's a better platform, I'll jump on it. It just means they haven't banned me yet for past for every time a verse grabs me in my devotions, I post it. And then I summarize it and say some words. Or if I do something cool and I post it, I, I, I'm hearing from people that I haven't heard from in year, for years on the different side of the country, Navy SEALs, other people that I went to high school with, people chiming in from other parts of the state or the country. Uh, that's not bad. So it means that that mechanism can be used for good as well if you choose to do so. You're reaching people who needed to be reached. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm tingling because, um, I think, I think I'm developing a man crush on you. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) it's totally possible, but, um, what, what you're saying resonates so deeply. I mean, we've, we've had him on the show and, um, Mike jokes that we play a drinking game about certain things. And one of them is Christian Conti references. And, uh, uh, my good friend and mentor Christian has, um, has developed this yield theory. It's essentially the three tenets are listen, validate, explore options. And hearing the story about your, I think it was your, your sister-in-law or cousin mm-hmm. or yeah, sister-in-law. Um, you, you listen, like she said, thank you for listening. And I think too, too infrequently online, we don't listen. Like we're, we're waiting to shout, right. As though we need to control others and be like, just listen to my message. It's like, yeah, but are yeah. you listening to anybody else's message? And what you're saying is be consistent be intentional with your thoughts, um, and 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 let everybody know where you are. I think in a day and age where we're so quick to tear down where others are, we're less 
I don't know, um, enthusiastic to say where we are because it provides yeah. a target for that tearing down, right? And uh, what I'm hearing from you is that you're you're saying, I I'm gonna I know where I am. I'm gonna be a, a light. I'm gonna be a positive influence. I'm gonna talk about all the good things that can come from the work that I do, in the belief that others will find that attractive and then emulate it rather than compelling others through force or, or dogma or lecturing to conform. That's not what we want to do. That's not, that's not liberty, right? Liberty is choosing what you want to choose and giving options. And it's really the heart of education too. Um, how, how do you, um, I guess all that's to say, how do you incorporate that, that spirit into what you teach in your instruction so that other people walk away believing that they can also do the same thing with the same level of embracing mystery insofar as they don't know where it may lead and the results aren't necessarily returned instantly, which is gratifying, right? And we want all that. And we want to know that we made a difference immediately. How do you, how do you communicate that? Like, Hey, just keep moving forward to your, to your students and, and your attendees. I think that <clears throat> that's a huge point in that we are very much immediate gratification, right? What if you were able to remove the distractions? Like I've got, I've got personally, I know many people like this. They can tell you every conspiracy theory out there and they can go down that road. A lot of it, there's truth in that. A lot of it, maybe not, but they've never focused on a solution. They never said, they just want to, the sky is falling. It's very distracting. Some of that I absorb because I have to keep a, a realistic view on my world, Right. But a lot of that, I let it bounce right off me and be like, even if that's true, what can I do about that one? So I'm just going to keep focusing on me. So I truly believe I said this earlier, that that top down thing, I don't believe we were built that way. So we're doing this Constitution Alive. It's, it's by David Barton and Rick Green. It was made several years ago, but it's teaching people. That's actually I've got one tonight <clears throat> is uh, in segments. It's classes on the biblical foundation of our founding documents, uh, because, again, I lost my focus and got busy with this honorable. You know, I'm raising my family and I'm, I'm trying to pay the bills and all that stuff. But I lost the focus on my country. So I owe that to my children to get back to that and then study this. And I tell them, if you don't know where to start. It's literally this easy. It's not simple. It's just not complex. It just means it's, it's, um, I'm sorry. It's not, it's, it's not easy, but it's not complex. It's, it's, it's quite simple is, is if you have a war of good and evil, then every time you do good, it tips the scales. It doesn't have to be some massive thing where a thousand people followed you to a lot of whatever, uh, across the country. It means every single thing that you do is good somehow tips the scales. And I tell another grandfather saying, I was like, if you're keeping score, you've already lost. If you're keeping score in life, you've already lost. Just keep doing good and keep doing it. It's funny, a Disney movie. That's one of the things, because they get to say things too. Uh, do the next right thing. I think it was from Frozen or something like that. They're singing a song, but it's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot in that. Meaning if you're just focusing on the next good thing for you to do, it's a good pattern to get into. That's a good format for your life. Not, well, you know, I hit the brakes to focus on this negativity and I never did anything good again. Man, I see a lot of people doing that right now and it's not the answer, but it is sifting people and not all people have to be these courageous, crazy inspired leaders. Sometimes if you can't figure out what to do, like say for the, you know, pro-life, um, that's something I'm passionate about. And I see someone that's leading in that. I'm not going to go start an organization. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to back hers. I was on a, on a deal today. We're going to rent a theater and support, sponsor a movie and then give her money. Because the, the, the people on the forefront of making a change, if it's not in the avenue that I'm doing, like if I become the guy, then so be it. I'm just going to lead forward. But if we see somebody else, efficiency would dictate that I'm not going to start it over. I'm just going to support you. So I can do a fundraiser and send you money. That's cool. And then advances her. Right. So those, those, these are all the things that I truly think if you, if you ever hear somebody saying, well, it's too big, I can't make a difference. 
man, that's dangerous words. Okay. Cause if enough people start repeating that, you're absolutely right. But even if it's, it's a, a situation where I said, these lies don't live in me. It's to my dying day. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's uh that really hits home with me, especially. Um, I tell people all the time, cause I, I grew up like a punk kid from Jersey, like, and now I'm running this organization. It's, it's, I, I feel has made a huge difference in, in just the way that the mental health community and the firearms industry talk to each other. But if you would have asked or told me this is where you're going to be in four years, sir, <laughs> like, I like you're, you're, you're way off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, it hit one night, it clicked. I became obsessed with it. Um, you know, then I, I started to, to find people like Jake and, and we just kept this moving and, and now it's building steam to, to what it is to do something great. Um, I, I want to talk about the coalition. How did, how did you hook up with the coalition, right? You're doing your thing. And, and I mean, obviously someone had to have seen you or, you know, it spoke to them and they said, we got to get this guy on board. Um, you know, cause you, you're on there. And I mean, that video that you shot for them, you you come off as almost like the face, like a spokesperson, you know, and, and there's some great people in there. Emmy Betts is associated with it. I mean, it's really good people. No, they, it's, um, you know, we're affiliated with Centennial Gun Club in Centennial, Colorado. We're in the building right next door to them. And then we've got another building about four minutes away. So through that conversation of Dick Abramson was affiliated with that group, if I remember correctly. And then he knew that it would be a good fit. So he introduced us. So we talked briefly about that. And I asked her, would it be okay if I share? I didn't go into detail, but, you know, I had a, a SEAL team buddy. Uh, you know, you know it as SEAL Team 6. We call it DevGrew. There's no secrets about it anymore. But a buddy of mine that, that, that took his own life, you know, in a moment of weakness, probably alcohol involved and all that. And this isn't the person, and I don't want to stereotype anybody, but, you know, I think we, we have that, that vision of like, well, you know, there's, there's these signs, there was this and that. This wasn't that guy. This was a top performer in the top percentages of the planet as far as beautiful wife, teenage kids, top operator that SEALs aspire to be, all that stuff, and they find him in his car. You know, that's that's one of those that really makes everybody take a breath and going, man, I felt guilty for not staying in touch with you. You know what I mean? It's like, man, I had I had that relationship that tight, what I'm doing right now would be an exact fit for him. He would be a leader of a community and who knows where. Uh, but he had gotten out of the Navy one time, came back, tried to look and go do his own thing, perhaps didn't have the support, perhaps didn't have the, the certain relationships that, that I was blessed with that helped me get to the next level. Uh, you know, and then the next one and the next one, the next one. I don't know the circumstances. So I did feel a little bit guilty for not staying in touch. We can't live our lives like that. But how many more people you know, are, are faced with that. So they allowed me to mention that it, that it had personally recently uh, affected my life. So it was a very good message. We always hear about uh, accidents happen, uh, typically due to some kind of negligence with firearms training. And we, we make it very efficient for people to know how to safely handle firearms and how to store them and let them know that that responsibility is ours. If you're going to take on that kind of capability, you must assume the responsibility that goes with it because it's a big deal. There's a lot of wisdom that's been dropped in these podcasts. And I, I mean, I, I share something that's just occurring to me now, and it's going to seem a little, um, maybe a little off, off plum, but in the last, uh, I don't know, 18 to 24 months, my life has been kind of all over the place and I just keep continuing to make steps forward. And when I say that, you know, developing a man crush on you, it's like you're you're saying stuff that's really resonating with me insofar as finding purpose, doing things with intentionality, which is like my favorite word in counseling. Um, and I'm wondering, because I've been sort of, and Mike knows this, so I've been sort of adrift um, as far as like 
I like to sink my teeth into a project and like really take on something momentous and, and see it through. And I haven't had one of those for quite some time. And I'm wondering if you had a similar experience because the way that you're talking, it sounds like uh, to the, to the casual untrained ear, it probably sounds like, man, this guy's really got his life together. It's been one step after another. Everything's been a success following another success. And, um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true, and I'm wondering if you could impart a little bit more wisdom as to if you've ever had that, like, I don't know what to do next, and, you know, opportunity grabs you, God works <clears> in great ways, um, and then you you take the next step, and it works out because you commit yourself fully to it. How do you, or how have you in the past, continued to persevere in the face of uh, maybe um, – I don't know, uh, ambivalence or, or even a frustration or just not knowing what the, the path ahead holds and continuing to stick, stay true to you, honor your family, honor your, your belief system, your mission until the next thing drops. Cause I'm in that season right now where I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I just want to <laughs> hang out with Jimmy for a little while and like absorb what he has. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you're exactly right. It has not been successful. So just, just to be very transparent about that, because I think that's the best part. Um, I've said this in a podcast, you got two guys standing on a mountaintop, right? And they're looking at the beautiful view and one guy climbed up and it took him a year and his buddy died along the way. And it was, he thought about quitting and almost died five times. The other guy flew up on a helicopter. They're not seeing the same thing. You know, they're, they're just, they're not, it's, eh, it's okay. And he flies off to another one. Uh, I think the best thing about it is it are those pieces that got so tough and to be cheesy and say a Navy SEAL term, it's like the only easy day was yesterday, meaning just make it through tomorrow, just get through there. And I can, I've, I've got the stories I've laid on a bit on the floor of a building, praying to God saying, yeah, I prayed to you and you said to do this and you let it fail. You know, I, I was obedient. Why didn't you do this? Well, he did. It just took nine years. It didn't take a year and we lost that building. And I worked for the railroad for a year, getting dirty and nasty and working heavy equipment. And then I worked for a fundraising company here in town. And then a family at my church saw and said, hey, you shouldn't be traveling. Let's do this and whatever. And took a job that wasn't my calling. Then got an opportunity in a facility that led to A, that leads to B, leads to C, and then got an opportunity to start our own thing or to at least bring it back. It's always been the same company, but sometimes it was drive all, load my car full of gear, you know the deal, go all the way to Colorado Springs, show up, you know, after working a full day's work for the railroad, they go, Hey, you know what? We've got to call you. Nobody signed up for class. They go, okay, appreciate it. Well, they're all back up and drive back 45 minutes and go to bed, get up at five in the morning, drive to Nebraska, just hard, hard stuff where you don't quite see it. And I can remember out loud saying this, I don't know where you're going. I just know that you, you do. So I'm just going to follow you and I'm going to take out trash at the church. I don't even know. I just want to be here for a minute. I just want to be still and be reminded that the dollars uh, matter. And remember, this is all after being a Navy SEAL and after working for the CIA. I remember taking out the trash at my church because I just wanted to be there. And there's an old Warthog pilot, A-10 pilot, stand there. We're talking. And this guy walks over and he goes, hey, you knew the are you the new janitor? And this guy goes, do you know who you're talking to? Like, And he goes, who? And I go, the new janitor. I'm Jimmy. How you doing? And I start talking to the guy. And it was just kind of a cool, humbling experience that I needed. You know, I went from making well into you know, 100 plus thousand dollars for working six months out of the year in a foreign country and then six months off, you know, so that was and, and I kind of lost track of like Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you, you're a Dave Ramsey guy, you know, who that is there's certain people out there that helped me steer my way back to, you know, a, a healthy place again. 
you know, healthy things grow and healthy things die, you know? So I needed to be humbled in order to get a solid foundation before I could be trusted with the next thing, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. So, you know, for people that are going through it, man, it's not easy. If you've never held your wife in your arms when she's crying, talking about the things you liquidated because God told you to, and then the business thing doesn't work. You go out on a branch and it breaks and you think that God somehow screwed you over. It's just not the truth. He's like, hang in there, trust me on this one. And now I get to enjoy my life, but it didn't come easy. Do you, ever, <laughs> do you ever have a time where you questioned your faith? Oh yeah, absolutely. And then what, yeah. how'd you, how'd you move through that? Um, I'm just stubborn. People say, you must be tough. You made it through buds. I'm like, I'm stubborn. I can't look left and right and see people standing there and then quit. You know? So I'm like, you know, God, I, I don't even know what else to do. I've come to the end of Jimmy Graham. And by the way, seals don't fail. So when a business fails, you're like, what just happened? Maybe I'm not the guy I thought I was, you know? So when you, uh, you know, those little rewards and this, and to your question, back to your question, this made a huge difference for me more recently than not. I had a, a, a misunderstanding on vision and mission. So mission statement, you cast out this mission and off you go. <clears throat> and when somebody said, I think it was Andy Stanley, where I heard this, he was talking about a vision is that forever thing. Your vision is the thing you aspire to get to. Missions are designed, and I should have known this from the military, they're designed to start, stop, and then be learned from, to start and stop and to be celebrated, to start and stop and pivot. You're going to have thousands of missions in your life, but they should follow your vision. And if your vision's not in line with your calling, you're going to run out of juice. But if your vision's in line with your calling, you're never going to run out of juice. When I wrap my head around that, it's everything just unlocked. And I'm like, okay, I get it now. So it, it was exhausting because I was on a never ending mission. I'm like, wow, this is, man, I'm not done with this. But then you pivot and go, you know what? This isn't exactly what I started, but this able nation thing sounds good because people need money and we can help them. At the end of the day, I, they may never know it, but I made their school stronger. Maybe they never get attacked or maybe they do. And one of those tourniquets saves life. Okay. Roger that. But instead of saying they should be so thankful, I just go off and do another one and another one and another one and another one. And then that builds relationships and those relationships never went anywhere. This is the big thing. I never knew this. I, I was like, Hey God, cash would be cool about right now, but he was blessing me the whole time with relationships. And they're still there. I have thousands of people that are solid gold right now and they're not going anywhere. You know, and now I can actually pay the bills. So I'm pretty excited about that. It wasn't always that way, but he was building a network that serves me well now and vice versa. Yeah, Jake, that kind of reminds me of Jake and I were in the car one time and you, you were talking about miracles. And I don't know if you remember this, Jake, but you said Not one bit. <laughs> oh, really? You said uh, it was really cool, especially because, you know, I, I admit like I'm not I'm not a religious man. But I respect it. I respect the hell out of it. And as a matter of fact, you guys better be right. Um, <laughs> I better be right. No, uh, you said God gives us miracles in the forms of people. Like, and I thought that was really cool because I've never really thought about it that way. It's like, you know, people coming into your life that really can make a difference for you. And you don't even know it at that time, right? It is like a miracle. Um, you know, cause we always think about like what we already have and we don't realize like that next miracle could present itself and change your life as the lady that, you know, in, in new Orleans who asked me one question that changed my life said, if you know exactly how this thing goes down, when there's a mass shooting, everybody blames you, you say it's a mental health issue and nothing ever gets done. You, you have to work with mental health, right? Like that makes only makes sense. And that was like what I would call a miracle moment. And, you know, I, I one of my biggest regrets is not getting her information, um, you know, after I met her because she called it 
she was like, I'm looking at your face right now. You're going to totally do this now. And then here I am, I go home and tell my, my, my wife, I've sold my company and I'm going to work for free. And so that really, <laughs> there's nothing like looking at your family. <laughs> um, but no, I really respect that. That's, that's pretty cool, man. Mike, do you remember uh, just a few months ago when I was talking to you about uh, how I, I, I was just kind of, I felt, like I was spinning my wheels, which is not a feeling, by the way. It's a, it's a belief. Um, but but it, it was like going checkpoint, 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 like a video game. But it was like, where's the big boss at the end? And um, to, to Jimmy's reference there, the, the analog to mission versus vision, and I'm going to try my best not to cry here because even though I'm an emotional functioning guy, it doesn't make for a non-distracting podcast um, when you're crying. But um, you, you cast the vision, and now we're – we're in this mission together and there may be multiple missions, but there's always like one that's chasing the vision. So there's like multiple layers of this thing. And I, I appreciate the heck out of that because it, I, I think I lost focus. I, I, I fell into the instant gratification too. I wanted, I wanted like tangible results and, um, and we're getting them all along the way. Yeah. Uh, we're just, uh, I, I don't know that we're appreciating them because we're so locked into the let's conquer evil thing and it's like we're never going to conquer evil but what we can do is continue battling it back day after day week after week month after month event after event and continue to tip the the scales like jimmy was was saying earlier and by the way andy stanley if you're listening and you're in a coupled relationship you got a, a spouse um look up his i marriage series um he's he's got a great series on for couples on it's called i marriage lowercase i and he does a wonderful job with these dvds and these walk through um uh workbooks that you can do I, I find that incredibly beneficial so you know drop drop in for the for the marriage and family therapy guy um but i i think the the idea is not lost on me now that all our efforts even though they may not yield tangible fruit in the short term the long term vision of 20 years, not two is going to have us sitting in our rocking chairs at the end of our you know careers when we're old and gray. Some of us are going a little more gray these days, but don't look too closely in the video. Uh, <laughs> but, um, we're going to, we're going to high five each other and, and we're going to have to give a lot of credit to a lot of folks along the way who, who helped us achieve that. So I, pre I appreciate that context. I appreciate the perspective. It really means a lot. And it, um, it's, I think it's reinvigorated me a little bit too. I, I needed this conversation today. It's been really good. <clears throat> the, the gratitude thing, it's like, we, I, and this just dawned on me. I pulled my phone out. I wasn't being rude is, um, in your notes, I started doing this. I'd recommend it. Anytime you, I call it a blessings journal. Something really cool happens, put a date and write it down. Now there are, I'd have to scroll for five minutes to get to the bottom of this thing because it just keeps going and going and going. At some point, you're going to look at that. And if you try to call it coincidence, it's going to slap you in the face. That's where the faith thing comes in. You start seeing names of people that showed up right when you needed a thing. There's no longer, you can no longer call that coincidence. So it's, a, it's an amazing deal. And like, like this weekend, I, I got this wild idea and my team is amazing. So if you guys are listening, thank you so much. But just last week I said, Hey, I'm going to invite everybody to, uh, you know, to the park. We're going to go do this thing when the sun comes up and Melissa, who's my assistant, Hey, we're going to need to somehow heat coffee and I need a generator. And then Steve brought a generator. And then all of a sudden people show up and they're filling up water and they're doing all this stuff. And then we go to this church we got invited to. And at the end, when you come in on Monday, we just exhale and we're like, what a weekend. And they're like, that was amazing. She's like, we were so blessed. That's the win. Now let's go do another one. So, you know, Jimmy's going to come up with 25 missions, but this quarter, 
right? And I, and, and I just said, hey, I move fast and you, I'm going to count on you guys to clean up the messes and keep me on track and all that stuff. And it used to be a thing. And I would just challenge yourself because some people say, you need to focus. You're, you're a businessman. You need to focus. One of the most freeing things that, again, the sage Neil Pinkham said to me, he goes, I used to tell you to focus. And he's like, how dare, like, who am I? How dare me? Nobody can, I don't know anybody can do what you do. Let us deal with this. You just go be you. Like, go be you. What, a, what an amazing, honoring compliment. Go be you. And I'm like, okay. So I get to make messes. I get to move at hundred miles an hour. I get to not finish the things I start. And then ever since when I made, when I came to terms with that, um, it blew the doors off. And I was like, you know, see, like, who else can do this? And I was like, okay, when we go do it and I'm getting better at learning my numbers and my business. And I thought I was stupid like growing up because I couldn't retain numbers in sniper school. I had to make my own matrix to make sense because it didn't make sense the way they taught it. So I'd write a different thing down and get the same result. I thought I was an idiot and I had to do so much repetition. Uh, that's just not the way that I'm not good with numbers. And anybody knows me knows that. So I have people that protect me from numbers and they help to sculpt it and rewrite write it and say, Hey, I'm like, how are we doing? We're making money still cool. So I can keep doing the thing. Yeah, go yeah, whatever. And, and it, and it's worked every time I said, we haven't really hit a red light since we've had that kind of breakthrough. So I think that it's not always carbon copy uh, the self-help books on business. Uh, some of them, if somebody's vetted them and they hand it to me, I may check them out. A lot of them I don't even bother with. But as far as Christian leadership and all that, I'm all in. Even, you know, when I see something that I can't let go of for like a week, like Jordan Peterson, um, I'm like, I, there's something here and I need to investigate. And then I do and 10 more things pop out. I'm like, okay, I can use that. And I'm going like, to today. His new podcast, ever, ever since he came back from his brink of death, the, the podcasts have been absolutely exceptional. Absolutely yeah. exceptional. Uh, every interview is um, just incredibly thought provoking and inspiring really. And, and on the note of inspiring, like there's, there's a lot of negativity in the world. There's a lot of people who are, you know, attacking liberties and, or at least perceptively attacking them and trying to control. And, um, how, how do you fight off getting sucked into that and wanting to extinguish every fire or fight every fight and, um, becoming embittered? Yeah, that's, that's, Awesome question. We did the Stand the Gap initiative and I sat down and prayed about it and I wrote up a quick draft. I don't like using notes. I use bullets, but I don't want to read anything. But my three points were, you know, um, there's other speakers and I'm kind of the, the, the end cap there. And I kept on, I say, um, what do you stand for? So I ask them, what do you stand for? And I give them examples because I say, if you don't know what you stand for, anyone will blow you. You know, like it's people say that you're racist. You're like, I'm absolutely not. And it doesn't even make a dent because you know you're not a racist. Because say whatever you watch is not true. Uh, and it just bounces off of you. So know what you stand for. And I say, what's your hill to take? Because your hill to take, we're all different. We all have these spiritual gifts. And if I'm trying to work outside my calling, what am I doing here? Like I said, if I'm going to support Lila Rose, that's the best thing I can do because that's not my calling. It's a passion of mine. So I'll just raise funds and maybe do a function or whatever. So know what your is your hill to take. And it shouldn't be Jimmy's. Well, Jimmy's, is that sounds cool. Well, you need to find out if it's yours. Uh, and then do you actually care enough to do something about it? And I tell people when I'm talking to churches or whatever, a big old group of people, I say, you don't have to answer me because I'm going to know next week. I'll know your answer, whether you've done anything or not. And again, it doesn't have to be a monumental thing. If this, then this, just go do it and don't ask permission. I've had people come up, well, would it be okay? I'm like, what are you asking me? Like, where did that boldness go? In a, in, a, in a strong Christian man, you can speak boldness without using profanity. You can actually stand up without, you know, being passive, that mid-level confrontation. And I think that we're all kind of not so good at, you know, I, I used to be good at letting things slide and regret it later. 
And I used to be good at taking it too far and maybe getting physical or whatever, but the in-between stuff I was no good at. So I just spend some time thinking about that. How can I say something truth and not feel like a coward later or overdo it and get me or my family in trouble? So certain things that I've told people this uh, and they've used it and I've used it and it's, it's very rewarding on a personal level. Somebody says something and you go, you speak to me respectfully or not at all. And just sit there and look at them and let them get weird. And it's all of a sudden, it's like, and you walk away feeling like a man and they go home and think about themselves and call you in a week and apologize. And it's really cool, but I'm not sure what happened there. I don't know where that went. So even in myself, I think some failures in business, I lost a little bit of my boldness, you know, and I didn't understand that. So I had to really spend some time and think about that and quite frankly, live for a while and, and, uh, and get reminded of humility and then come back and, 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 and come back even stronger and just say like, Hey, this isn't the truth. So if this is the truth. Why am I apologizing kind of thing? Yeah. I, it's funny you say that. Cause I say that all the time. Um, I, I tell people all the time, sometimes if you just shut up and don't say anything, it's amazing what people will tell you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't even expect it. You kind of just sat there and you're just thinking about what is being said and you don't say anything. And then all of a sudden someone's like vomiting a lot of information <laughs> you didn't even really ask for. And you're like, it's just really interesting how I just did nothing. And there was nothing behind that, but just being quiet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's like my wife, you know, it's like they, we learn this every day, including our relationships with our wives. And I, I've said this and it's really I, not a verbal voice, but I kind of heard this in my head. Like, we would have this, this, this round circle where we'd set the same spot in the couch. She would kind of get nervous and talk and I'm the fixer guy. So I'd fix everything that she got wrong. And, you know, like to Jordan Peterson, very appealing that he speaks his truth and cannot say things that aren't true and will even hold you accountable. I don't know how anybody could be married to that guy. Right. Cause it's just not good for a relationship. Right. So some of that stuff that I would do and I'm talking to Rachel and then she would wait and then I'd say some stuff and she'd go, oh, okay. Cause I'm kind of wittier than her. And we're having this conversation and I literally just felt like God was saying, shut up, like not be quiet, Jimmy, shut up. So she paused like, okay, let me have it. And I just lovingly just kind of looked at her, waited uncomfortably too long. And then she went again. And then, and she waits like, okay, let me have it. And I just wait. There's so not true going on there and I could fix it, but I'm just going to sit here and just not talk. And then she goes again. And jokingly, I say, 45 minutes, the best conversation we've ever had. And I didn't get to talk, but it really, there was so much that needed to be said. I'm like, what are you doing? You know? So it was, a, it was a gift, but I'm like, man, that, that was not my intent. My intent was to be locked to the truth and in truth, we'll find whatever. But I, I just somewhere along there forgot to just be kind and show a little bit of grace. So get, we, out, we, get out of my living room, Jimmy. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. When you start seeing it, it, there is healing and knowing that it's not just me. When I say that to a Bible study, they go, man, that's kind of like every day. And I'm like, oh, maybe try it. I mean, it's, it. I'm just one guy talking, but try just listening and not trying to fix it, whatever. And then you got guys walking in of varying ages from 18 to 68, somewhere in their seventies that came in to learn how to shoot a gun straight. Next thing you know, we're riding to Seattle together on motorcycles and coming back and, you know, uh, inviting all of our family to do a, a function around strong individuals. It's just, it's, it's, but you would never would have known that had you not built the relationship first. And Christmas, we were blessed to give out, we, we passed the hat, raised $25,000. And we knew of seven families that had some hard, hard stuff. One was a suicide of dad due to PTSD. Uh, a couple of them were lost jobs. A couple of them were going back to school because COVID lost a thing and they needed a computer, all this stuff. We just know that we wrote, we, we wrote seven checks. 
and they went out. There's no way we would have known about those people had we not built the relationships. Because nobody says, we say, hey, anybody in need? It's crickets, right? Because nobody trusts you. But somebody knew somebody that knew that the father passed and Christmas was coming and they were trying to make do. And then they passed on the information. So in their mailbox, it just a check showed up with their name on it, right? So we don't need credit for that. We just knew that uh, through those relationships, somebody entrusted us with that name and it wasn't Jimmy doing it. It was the community doing it saying, we love you. We're sorry what happened. And, you know, I can't fix that, but we can help at Christmas. Yeah, that, that's really cool. That's awesome. Um, how? So for me, I struggle with that. I, my relationship with my wife got a lot better when I realized that sometimes she didn't need me to fix it. She just wanted to, to, to talk and talk aloud and complain about whatever it is that was bothering her. And I would always jump into the fix it role. And I realized that that was making her more frustrated. And I started to pick up on it. And so it was one thing that I I'm really thankful for is noticing that sometimes she doesn't want an answer. You know, um, how do you, how do you like, how do you, do you ever struggle with that? Do you try? Cause man, you're, uh, fixing things goes way beyond what I've ever done in my 45 years. Um, did, I mean, do you ever stop? Do you ever say like, this is something I can't do or. You know? oh, all the time, all the time. So it's like, yeah, all that wisdom comes in the next two years. Cause I'm 47. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, and if you talk to my wife, it'd probably be a totally different conversation, you know, because we're always trying to fix it. We're way better. We have to pause and look back at where we were and be like, Hey, this is getting a lot better. Don't you think? And then we have a, we dip. And then she's like, Oh, here you go again. I'm like, Oh man, here we go. And we just, you know, but I, you know, there is so much power in words like this. She says this to me and I say this to her and it, it calms a thing in the back of my mind that I didn't know was there. Hey, we're going to be together forever. Let's just figure out how to be happy. You're like, Ooh, cause I think that you hear about people that, that aren't together anymore and they didn't see it coming. They just kept being them and all of a sudden they're divorced, whatever. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying there's so much healing and saying, I'm not going anywhere ever. I love you. I'm in for the long haul, good, bad, ugly. Let's just figure out this happiness thing. And we both kind of smile. And then I said, Hey, it's very um, disrespectful for me. If you were like, if I was talking to you, like quiet. And I gave her permission. I go, I honestly don't know if I'm doing it. So if I'm saying something that's not true or dishonoring to you, literally put your finger up and say, "Mm, that's, that's not true. And then I kind of laugh about it. I go, okay, give me what part of it do you think wasn't true? Okay. Actually that wasn't, I apologize. That was stupid. Take a break, (laughs) you know, or, you know, um, just stop talking, you know, but that's, you know, it's, it's that accountability. And that's the problem. I think one of the problems with the world today, it's gotta be both ways. Oh, she'll go on a rant about the government and about rah, rah, rah. And I go, man, I'll, would that language be okay if we were on the other end of it? I know your buddy's funny and he's saying it, but would it be okay if it was somebody else saying that to us? Maybe we don't post that back to your post, you know, was it called posting peace or posting peace? Like I, I totally agree. Like your words matter. And even this podcast, you know, you never know what well, Mikey just said it. You said something, Jason, he didn't even remember it, but it stuck with you. And you never know who's hanging by a thread. Never. I've had people literally, this was, now I'm going to try not to cry. This guy came up to the, the county building and was telling me, I, I was just asking for testimonials for marketing for a commercial. Like, hey, we're going to do a thing. We think we're doing a good thing. We want to get other people in because we think our nation needs it. And he says, uh, yeah, I'd be glad to share. I go, you said something cool about how this helped you. Would you mind saying that on camera? And he goes, sure. And then he was leaving. We got separated because I got interrupted, came back by, Hey, I appreciate it. When he goes, Hey, can I tell you the rest of that story? Cause he didn't want to do it around people. And then literally told us how about how this saved his life after the military, he went to drinking, he went to doing all this stuff. His relationship with his wife was crumbling. And then all his relationships were crumbling. And through his church security team, the pastor at his church invited him to come to an event and he met a community 
cool. He's into guns or whatever, but it's not about guns. I tell people this is so little about guns. Second Amendment, yes. Protector culture, yes. He's like, this place saved my life. And I'm like, wow, don't miss that. Don't belittle when somebody tells you they were going to kill themselves. It's a big, big deal. And I said, well, hey, man, welcome home. Like you just found your brothers and it's a big deal. And it's not the first time I've heard that. So I, I consider it an honor when that phone goes off next to my bed, my phone goes off and somebody goes, Hey, uh, brother, how you doing? Buddy from high school. How do you talk to God? I'm like, Hey, first of all, are you sleeping? No, no, I'm up. It's three in the morning. Of course I'm up. I'm like, no, I, but I know it's going to be a longer call. How do you talk to God? So I sneak out of the room, go downstairs, put on some coffee. Cause it's a big deal. You are an incredible blessing to a lot of people, uh, and that's really obvious. And Mike and I, for a while, have been going, "What? what is going on in Colorado? Because <laughs> we know several people now from Colorado, from all parts of the state, who are um, doing amazing things. And it's, and it's pretty obvious that, yet again, we have yet another person who is just humble and curious and full of passion, wanting to help others. And I think Nevada could use a little of that, so if you want to jump a couple states over and spend some time here. We'll, we'll yeah. welcome it. Man, I've been saying the same thing about California, uh, Chino Hills, uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Jack Hibbs, definitely look him up. That guy's on fire. But I, I, that means a lot that you say that because that's what I focus here. And I, the guys are like, Hey, what are we going to do with the nation? I go, we're going to shine so bright here that the next County over goes, what the heck's going on over there? And then the state goes, what the heck's going on over there? And the next States go, what the heck's going on over there? So I love hearing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely feel safer with you. I, I just feel safe. You're in Colorado. You're nowhere near me, but I feel safer. With <laughs> like, well, come around and brother, just fire <laughs> a flare up in the air. A lot of people heading that way. <laughs> yeah, like, like I feel like anything's possible. Like you can inspire. <laughs> it's so cool, man, because I, truly, and this is, this is, this is how, again, it's another uh, victory that we get to celebrate. We're doing testimonials this week. The last time we did testimonials on our group, I didn't expect this, neither the cameraman. There were tears. Like people that are in the program, people come back in crying. I'm like, what? You guys okay? Like what's going on there? Like, no, no, the guy just asked me some questions about such and such. I'm like, right on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good deal. Again, it's that the fruit of the spirit, it's the fruit. Am I doing, is anything, does what I do even matter? So when you start recognizing those small victories, they're not small. There's a bunch of them that equates to big victories. You know, I was, I was scoring incorrectly and it wasn't scoring. Like I said, if you're, if you're keeping score in life, you're already, you're, you're, you know, you're losing already, or you've already lost. It just means that you, you get those. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump up on my, my uh, pulpit for a second, but I truly believe that that glory that we're all searching for is not ours to hold. So you, that whole no guts, no glory that sells a Dodge truck. And I get it. It's cool to say, right. It's just not true. The people that really clutch to glory, the Lindsay Lohans of the world, the Macaulay Culkins that I don't know that dates me, but it just means that those people tried so hard to hold on to it. And it wasn't theirs to hold. Sometimes God lets us touch a thing and we give it back and just touching it rises up to do it again. And I think people, they forgot that. They forgot that we're built. I tell people as a protector, you, Mike, as a protector, um, this is in your DNA. It's, it's in you to take care of people. And when I introduce you to your DNA, it's going to be familiar. You're going to like that guy. And they go, you know what? It is my job to protect my kids and my wife. Let's show you how. You got an AR in the closet. that has got dust on it. You bought it while you could so you wouldn't lose it or whatever. Why don't we talk about that? And and let's turn a hobby into a capability. They walk out of here that's much taller and then this much taller than this much taller. I've had wives call and say, I don't know what's going on over there, but a better man comes home. <laughs> what? I keep on going. And then they start showing up to the barbecues. And again, in this industry, it's a rule. I was like, you got to watch your language. My kids are free to walk this place because it's my business. 
And if you can't watch your language, it's easy math. You're out of here. And they respect it. And I've had people say, adult men in their 50s go, my mother loves you. She said, why? I've been cleaning up my language. <laughs> I'm like, well, love to meet her. <laughs> it is because it's, it's addictive. And I don't want to go back to that. Man, I used to be horrible. I was a sailor. Curse like a sailor is not, they didn't make that up. It's a real thing. But it just means that it, we can easily slip back there if it's letting the door. So we stop it at the door. Well, the, you, you, you literally were a sailor and <laughs> you, you could reference that with, <laughs> with great conviction. <laughs> they, there, there's a couple of things that went through my head. One was about three minutes into listening to you talk. I was like, why aren't you being a pastor? And, and then that triggered something in my head. I was like, no, he is like that. There was a, a little exercise that somebody did. I think it was even my pastor many years ago. He says, you know, uh, raise your hands. How many of you are in ministry? ministry. Right. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And nobody puts their hand up because they're like, oh, ministry looks like man of the cloth at the top of the podium with the, or, you know, top of the stage with a plastic podium in front of him or whatever. And it's like, no, you're ministering to people wherever you are in life and, and you're, and you're doing that. Um, but the second thing you talk about is something that I haven't, I haven't referenced in quite a while, which is that we are a conduit for whatever God's blessings may be. They're not ours to hold on to. They're ours to, um, funnel into others, right? So if we try to hang on to those things, then we end up going sideways because we make the mistake of thinking that it's ours to keep or to, to whatever. And and again, going back to the shepherding thing, we're supposed to shepherd that information, those resources, the knowledge, whatever it is, to the proper places when they need them. And, and really, we have very little say in where it goes anyway. And I really appreciate that you mentioned that because it, it's the idea of non-attachment. Somebody may give me something my job is to then give it out to other people so that we're continually lighting candles. And there's that old metaphor that says, you know, a candle doesn't lose its flame when it lights other candles. And I, and I think you, you illustrated that beautifully by saying, you know, it's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go teach this school or I'm going to teach these people. And if I don't get a thanks, it doesn't really matter. I know that I've made the world better because of it. And I think if we all had a little bit more of that mentality, that philosophy, the, the lack of ledger keeping, you know, the, the scorekeeping, we would all be, more inclined to help rather than to retain, right. And store up and, and brag about what we've done. So that, that just, I don't know. It means a lot to me. Um, I say it all the time on these podcasts, you know, it's like the, the knowledge doesn't do any good in my head. I got to set it free and let others, you know, go forward and help. And you motivated me to do, do some more videos, I think. And, um, just, just get it out. Like there's, there's so many times when I just fail to, to take notes on what brilliant thought I had. I was like, Oh, that I should do a video about that. And then I forget it. Um, I need to, I need to just get more diligent about that and, and sharing it because it's, it's necessary. Right. And again, it doesn't do any good locked up in my head. It's amazing how, when we get going a hundred miles an hour and I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. Um, I posted the other day, somebody was talking about, somebody said, well, God didn't really talk to me. And I took it back to the military. I was a communicator in the SEAL teams. Right. So transmit and receive. It's like God never stops transmitting. So if you're not receiving, it's not a problem with the transmitter. So you got to go back and slow down. And I noticed like when I slowed down, I went to a men's conference. It was called Wild Sons. Went out and checked it out. And they made you go sit somewhere and just be quiet with a pen and paper in hand. And I couldn't stop writing. So all of this transmission was coming through, but I was going hundred miles an hour. So I would dismiss it and forget it and all this other stuff. Right. They made you quiet. Man, I was filling up notebooks. So that was just a huge indicator. And I'm uh, in the process now of uh, taking those notes, same thing on my notes on my phone to, uh, to outline a book. I'm not a big fan of Navy SEALs writing books about SEAL stuff and neither is the community. 
So I, I ignored it two years ago, but now on the, on the, on the, in the essence of like a John Eldridge or something pursuing the hearts of men, uh, I'm working on that now. And I've been in touch with Zulon press and some Christian, uh, publishing places. Um, even that, you know, it's like just, just me saying that out loud was kind of a, went against that quiet professional thing and the SEAL teams and the CIA. Uh, but as a business owner, you got to learn to start putting this stuff out there. So we were horrible at marketing. We're getting better. We've been really bad at it, but that's okay. It slowed us down and let us get a good foundation under us. So we've got a good, we got good processes. We've got great people. We've got all these relationships and a lot of energy. So now I believe our marketing is going to start pulling together and, uh, and even potentially this book, I think it'll be healing. And, uh, both both for me and for, for other men. Yeah, yeah, and that's the point. I'm glad you punctuated it like that because you're doing it with a measure of intentionality. You're not doing it for your own glory to have your name on a byline. You, you're doing it so that others may benefit. And I have a one of my best friends from fraternity in college. He was in CIA. He was in Benghazi the first time around. I don't know if you guys ever crossed paths, but he, um, he was not there for what you described, but he knew a lot of the guys who were there at that embassy. And he finally posted something for the first time ever on this Reno dad's thing that we have going on where it was his personal experience of what uh, transpired when his family was evacuating. And, and he, he kind of just did the whole, like, I don't really care. This story needs to be told and it's gripping and it's powerful. And I was like, good for you, man. Like he didn't do it for him. He did it because he wanted other people to know that they can get through tough times too and and that it's okay to care for family it's okay to be scared and um, have things not work out and and i mean it's it's gripping like it it could be a movie in and of itself and i told him that yeah. and i appreciate that you're you know you're questioning that what we would call in our field an introjected belief it's a it's a belief that is not questioned it's just go along to get along and don't, don't challenge it. And, and I'm a big fan of questioning all our beliefs. Um, we don't necessarily need to abandon them and probably many times we shouldn't, but we need to question them so they know where they come from. So we know why we believe what we believe and then evaluate whether it's good or bad or, or useful or not. And you're doing that. And I, I think you're right. It is going to help a lot of folks. So kudos to you for that. No, I appreciate that. And I, th- I think it is a time for more direct talk because everybody got comfortable and, uh, there's consequences for the way you live and we're living those right now. But, you know, in getting back to that constitutional live and those founding documents and all that, what I'm actually seeing or being reminded of is that this was a good system. The bones are good. We would work if we got back to it. We're just not. So we really need to focus on it. And it doesn't matter if the nation follows and it doesn't matter if DC follows. It doesn't matter if whatever. It just means start living like that again. And immediately, you know, even Jerry Boykin, I'll never forget this. I heard him speak and we talked afterwards about Benghazi and all that. Um, you know, um, he's with Family Research Council and he was founded the Delta Force, all this other stuff. But anyways, he said, where the, you know, where the truth is spoken, people will gather. He's like, there's, there's dark things ahead of us because there always is, but he's like, there's dark times coming. Don't know if it's next year, the next year, whatever, but where the truth is spoken, people will gather. I see people gathering like you wouldn't believe saying, Hey, say that thing again that you say, or what's that thing you believe, or what's that pastor you talked about, or thanks for sharing the thing on the devo- your devotional this morning, what it meant to you. So people are really coming out of their skin. And in that regard, awesome. You know, if all this stuff happens and, and lukewarm churches close down, good, maybe they needed to. So that's the kind of leadership that's coming out of California with Jack Hibbs. It's coming out of, you know, even I can't wait. I'm praying for the day that um, Jordan Peterson just basically let's go and says, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian. He, I don't even know if he's there yet, but some of his stuff is unbelievable. I think God's at work in him. Did you see the one where he was talking to the pastor and they're going back and forth about there and he's in tears saying he's conflicted and terrified? Yeah, I didn't, um, but he referenced it in something else <laughs> that he just mentioned. Uh, I think what he was talking to Brett Weinstein, actually, um, I think he, he referenced that or, or Brett did. And, and so I, I need to find it. 
I need to find I'm like, really, are you trying to figure out God? Like, stop, your head's going to bleed. But he's just that guy. And I get it. But if that guy makes that flips that switch, man, he's a world changer. I truly believe that. I think God's going to use him. Well, I think we we need to hear those kinds of dialogues with with people being truly vulnerable and intimate with themselves and challenging not only their own beliefs, but also the the unknown and saying it's okay to wrestle with things that are indescribable. Um, It's amazing how what you, you you said the bones are good and that was one of my very first videos i filmed out in my my gazebo and the gazebo is kind of rickety and falling in and but i literally hit the thing the the, the post and i was like the the bones of this thing are good we could rehab it and now you're here <laughs> saying that i'm like oh man this is crazy <laughs> so that and you just said about vulnerability and i forget because once i saw that first interview i kind of took off and studied uh, checked out a bunch of them online but uh one of the things he was talking about was a big miss understanding about men, you know, this, this, uh, emasculation of men, um, in, in our nation and, and the, whoever the, the lady was that was kind of just, you know, co-interviewing or whatever she says, well, he says, well, we don't, I don't teach weakness. We don't teach weakness to men. That just doesn't work. And then she says, well, I want my son to be able to cry. I want him to know his son inside. I want him to be, he goes, that's not weakness. That's vulnerability. You know how much strength it takes to show that much vulnerability. And she was like, she had always looked at as weakness but once you define it, she was like, what am I saying? You know, and he has this ability to just add, if not common sense, how about facts? And people go, oh, I never really thought about that. He's like, I did for weeks. That's why I say it. You're like, oh, man, it's, it's insane. But he's he's an inspiration on that level. And I truly hope that he uh, he continues. Yeah. His walk. Doug, but Doug Bursch actually had a podcast. Uh, he, he's got a podcast called um, Fairly Spiritual. And one of the ones was, was uh, toxic, toxic Masculinity. And it was yeah. more of a clickbait title than anything. But he talks about how, how Jesus was not toxically masculine, but that's exactly the masculinity we want, where you, you can be vulnerable and strong. They're not mutually exclusive. And yeah. I, I need to go back and listen to it. Actually, it's a couple, two, three years old probably now. But um, to, to that point when I teach emotional functioning, it's, it's to push through the, the crest of the wave where you lose control. Your brain doesn't get to dis- decide whether or not it feels something. You get to decide how much and how long you feel it. But once you push through and go to the other side, what it does is it builds up a, a resilience and an education to your own brain, your neurological functioning. It says, I've been here before. I can do it again, regardless of the magnitude. That is vulnerability. And that is real strength is when you recognize something, you go, I'm scared and I'll be okay. I'm uh, ashamed and I'll be okay. I'm sad and I'll be okay. No matter how great the sadness, it's temporary. It's fleeting. It's all, it's always, you know, brief. And however much we hang on to it, that's up to us. And however much we avoid it, that's also up to us. But unfortunately avoidance doesn't beget strength that it actually begets weakness because then you go around avoiding things all the time, which, you know, any developmental theorist will tell you the only way that you grow is through disequilibrium. You can't, you can't stay the same and expect to grow. You have to push through some discomfort of some sort, you know, from, from seed growth to spiritual to psychological to, you know, anything. It's, um, it's a really important point. And I hope people hear that and it resonates with them to when they find themselves be vulnerable, being vulnerable, that they don't retreat from it, that they actually lean into it and embrace it and push forward. Very, very good point. I think that exactly right. Cause that, that, the guilt that comes with that times 40 years that you didn't stand up to the bully uh-huh. and empowering bullies to be bullies. It's like, we don't stand, we don't stand for bullying. You know, that kind of thing, that message has been kind of dumbed down and I don't agree. And I've heard many people say this and I absolutely agree with this, that, you know, there is that passive Christian kind of concept of turn the other cheek. It just doesn't mean as much to me as a guy that doesn't know how to fight. It's like, of course you can turn the other cheek. You don't want to fight. You just get beat up or get beat up. You know, that's your options. 
What if you have a strong man that's bold and he says, Hey, don't touch that kid, whatever. And he's being kind by not beating you to the ground. Like he's very capable exactly. and he chooses not to be. That's strength. Yeah, that's that thing guy saying like, uh-uh, you, I don't want you to do that again. And leaning into you and saying that and you feel it and you go, I think I'm going to act right. You know, that's strength. And I think people have put a negative connotation on that because people have abused it. Well, other people yep. haven't. You know, how many people haven't abused anybody today? You know, like most men have that under control. I don't think they're a bunch of weaklings. I think there's powerful men out there that basically mask their power and don't speak boldly because they're afraid they'll be looked at as a violent person. Like not, not at all. And then sometimes violence is the answer. I love that John Eldridge throws that out there and he says about breaking horses. You know, there used to be a mentality. You have to break a horse's spirit to make what you want. And they talk about, you have to break a boy's spirit. Well, he goes, don't touch that. He can defend you just fine with spirit intact. Cause you may, you may call someday. You may call on that boy to defend your life, to save your nation, to go to war and win your nation back. Cause they have, so you don't mess with their spirit. You know, you send them spirit intact to win a war and they will. Yeah. So we're just not asking a lot out of our young men today. It's okay. Cause we've gotten in this, this, this season of luxury, but we just shouldn't stop how we're teaching because it never lasts. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, <laughs> that flew by. And yeah. I don't even know how long we've been talking. Right? About like, an hour and a half. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been really good. Um, I want to be you know mindful and respectful of your time. Uh, Mike always likes to conclude with his favorite question of all our guests. So it's probably time to do that. Jimmy Graham, sir, uh, it's an honor. I'm so glad that you you came to the show. I, I, there was a point where I was like, I don't know if he's coming on. <laughs> <laughs> really glad. Now you have to email through some people and message, sure. and you never know when a stranger reaches out, right? Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. okay, these guys have a podcast, but whatever. But I'm so glad you came on today. Um, how do you tend to your mental health? How do I tend to my mental health? It's an excellent question. Think about that for a second. Man, the first thing that comes to mind is, is mental health. And I would need to put more thought in, so I'm just going to talk. I uh, hope I don't find anybody. The mental health thing for me, we looked at this active shooter situation. So I'm going to bring this closer to home and see how I deal with it. I feel like we are dealing with mental health, meaning people will allow me to come in and train police officers, faculty, security guards, staff in some cases to end the life of a young man or woman because they're shooting other people, right? It's obviously justified because they're taking human life, but they're okay with that. What they won't let me do is come in and talk about how that started. With me, it's gonna involve Jesus because that's my faith. But that's the mental health piece that I talk about, meaning this guy didn't lose, he didn't take that turn yesterday. He didn't even do it last week or last year. We back all the way up to his dad. There's a lot more problems. Obviously mom, obviously family, obviously all this stuff. Typically it's dad. But if we back that up and have an alternative, that is proven, obviously, because it built the greatest nation on the world, in the, on, the, on the earth, and obviously its its, uh, it's roots are in Judeo-Christian ethics. Um, we can't talk about that somehow. So that bothers me. So I said, we can't, we, obviously we have to work on this one. If you walk into my daughter's school and you're a violent person and you do something like that, I don't care why you're there. I don't care about your mom or your dad or why you're doing it. We must respond right now so that others may live, right? Take care of one another but I do care. That means we have to simultaneously back up and start making stronger men. So obviously women get offended when I say that, but that's my calling is to literally go after the hearts of men and women are invited, but that is very clearly my calling. So when I say, how do I do that? I think there's healing for me personally in helping others heal. That's just the way I'm wired. So I think the best thing that I can do for Jimmy Graham 
A is in best thing I can do for Christian Graham and Rebecca Graham and Sarah Graham and Eden Graham and Rachel Graham, my wife, is work on Jimmy Graham. The way that I do that is helping others with nothing expected in return. I'm going to pour into you for the next four hours, the next two hours, even this podcast. I don't care to hold anything back because somebody might be listening. Somebody might be hanging from a thread. And I pray to God that that lines that up and somehow that we, three of us, uh, help in some small way. I think there's great healing in that. And uh, again, that, that keeps me healthy. That's awesome. I almost never go back and listen to stuff that I've produced because I know what comes out of my mouth and I know I was there for the interview. <laughs> But I am going to go back and listen to this because there was so much good, rich content that was so sincerely portrayed and communicated that I I am going to make some changes in my own life after listening to this. And I appreciate the heck out of that because it's it's valuable. And I, I do believe that what we're doing will make a difference. I do believe that we're going to change hearts. And I do believe that many people are going to benefit from this. And if I didn't believe that, we wouldn't be doing it. So... Um, Kudos to you. Thank you very much for, for being with us. It's, it's awesome. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, ableshepherd.com. It's a weird spelling. There's many ways to spell it. So it's A-B-L-E. So able as in capable and shepherd as in shepherd of sheep. So ableshepherd.com. You'll be able to find us there. The 501c3 is able-nation.org. The new initiative where we're bringing people together is standinthegapinitiative.com. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. The podcast is Protector Culture Podcast with Jimmy Graham. You can go on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And there's a live version of it. If you go to protectorculture.com, you can watch the videos. And social media at all? Social media. Yeah. So Abel Shepard and then Jimmy Graham on Facebook and I think Instagram. Sorry, I don't handle that stuff. So I forget what all we've got. But yeah, uh, Abel Shepard or Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham, uh, dude with a black beard, not the guy who catches passes for a living That's in the right. NFL. Yeah. <laughs> I say I had it first because I'm older than him. But That's if right. If you type in Jimmy Graham, you're going to get a bunch of football uh, references. But yeah, appreciate you guys stay in touch because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're heading down the same, again, the same vision. We've got separate missions, but keep doing what you're doing, guys, and consider us a resource. Thank you. And thank you on behalf of our audience. And um, thanks to Arms Corps for continuing to sponsor our podcast, armscor.com. Check out their stuff. They, uh, what do they call it? The, the, the mental health screenings link on their ammunition boxes. So wtta.org slash love takes it to our free and anonymous mental health screenings. Arms Corps is doing that. They're putting it in our flyers and their gun boxes. It's really special. We value their partnership and love them to pieces so thanks to arms corps thanks to zephyr wellness my company here in northern nevada and on behalf of the entire walk the talk family and all of our guests thank you jim graham for being on we wish you all great mental wellness bye-bye well literally your neighbors if you didn't if you're too cool to train them then you've made your community less safe